27 to 38. It can be found on page 970 of the Bibles next to your seats, as well as on the screen. This is God's word. Some of the Sadducees, who say there is no resurrection, came to Jesus with a question. Teacher, they said, Moses wrote for us that if a man's brother dies and leaves a wife but no children, the man must marry the widow and raise up offspring for his brother. Now there were seven brothers. The first one married a woman and died childless. The second, and then the third married her, and in the same way, the seven died, leaving no children. Finally, the woman died too. Now then, at the resurrection, whose wife will she be, since the seven were married to her? Jesus replied, the people of this age marry and are given in marriage, but those who are considered worthy to take part in the age to come and in the resurrection from the dead will neither marry nor be given in marriage, for they can no longer die, for they are like the angels. They are God's children, since they are children of the resurrection. But in the account of the burning bush, even Moses showed that the dead rise, for he calls the Lord the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He is not the God of the dead, but the God of the living, for to him all are alive. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Pray with me. Our God of grace, as we come into this space, we look for hope, we look for meaning, we look for purpose, we look for grace, we look for um, help. We look for a lot of different things. We come from different kinds of experiences and places. We're in different life stages. Um, we have different emotional temperaments. We have different moods that we're in this morning. Some of us come, we've, we've just come along with a family member or a friend, and this is new to us. And we may not even know if we fit here. And uh, the others of us come, and we need to be here. We feel it because some news has hit us this week that's been like an emotional earthquake. Others of us come, we sit here, and, and we're numb. We feel anesthetized by the comforts or monotony of life. And some of us come tired, exhausted by trying so hard and yet feeling we never quite get there. From all these places, God, the truth is we sit here and we're all more of a mess than we want the person next to us to know. We're more of a mess than we care to admit. And we, we're all sitting now between this, before the same God and the same message of grace that we've um, committed at City Life to talk about every week. And that grace comes to us in a way that says, yeah, you're more of a mess than you care to admit, but you're more loved and accepted through Christ than you ever imagined. And that your son, Jesus Christ, entering into this broken and messy world already begins to tell us what you're like and how you enter into our lives. And oh, that that could be true for us this morning in a real way. We ask that you help us to see that, that grace, and that it would transform, that it would comfort, that it would heal. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Wow, what a, what a, what a story from the Bible this morning. Man. You know, the question of the week last week was, um, I can get my notes somewhat straight here. The question of the week was, uh, what's your favorite riddle? Because Jesus gets asked a riddle. 
And we specifically wanted to know on this Youth Sunday, we wanted to get answers from the young people. Um, so we, we got their answers to the question, what's your favorite riddle? So here we go. Jesus got asked a riddle. You're going to get asked some riddles here. What starts with T, ends with T, and has T in it? Hmm? Tea party? Doesn't end with teapot. All right, we got it. Very good. Teapot. That's good. I mean, these kids stepped up to the plate. I'm just going to say, we got some... All right, so a boy and his dad are riding their bikes. They both get hit by a car. They are sent to different hospitals to be operated on. They are operated on the same day. The surgeon for the boy walked in and screamed. The surgeon said, I can't operate on my son. How is this possible? There we go. There we go, Jen. I was hoping you'd answer. All right. All right. All right. The answer is on back. And Jen, our resident female surgeon, tells us it's his mom, the surgeon. All right. See? See? There's still gender stereotypes alive and well. Here's one. The question is, I'm taller when I'm younger and I'm shorter when I'm older. What am I? <laughs> a candle. Very good. Woo-hoo. All right. Here's, here's, here's one. That's, um, oh, I won't give anything away. Okay, so the man who has it doesn't need it. The man who bought it doesn't want it. And the man who needs it doesn't know it. What is it? Good job, kids. Yeah. A coffin. Huh? Yeah? The man who needs it doesn't know it. Right? All right. So, I like it. You know, in, in many ways, I wish there were 14 other riddles like that to read to you today because this passage is a doozy. And this passage has been a challenge for me this week. This, this exchange between Jesus and these people called Sadducees um, just has me all, all tied up as a preacher because it's thick with, um, with issues and with uh, uh, little just windows into big theological concepts. And they're just all kind of stacked right up on top of each other. I hardly even know what to say this morning um, about this passage. And I am just being absolutely honest. And maybe that I hope that's comforting to you if you've ever... Try to read the Bible, and, and, and it's one more time where you say, I have no idea what this is talking about, and what I'm supposed to take away from this, then be comforted, because this morning I feel very similar to that, even as I get up here. So there's these people called the Sadducees. They are a political, religious faction in the first century, and there were, there were four of them that are most commonly talked about. They are the Pharisees the Essenes, the Zealots, and the Sadducees. I won't go into each of them and give you the chart and the table of what they all, you can find that all online, what, what they believe. But basically, they all have different philosophies of how to kind of work out their Jewish identity amidst occupation by the Romans and their philosophy of how to work out, you know, kind of the, the Jewish people's way in that time and place has each of their philosophies is different and underneath it, are different beliefs that drive it. And so what you have is you have a group called the Pharisees. They believe in the resurrection, the afterlife, angels and demons. You have this group of Sadducees who actually, and even on the, 
basing it on the same scriptural grounds of the Old Testament, they believe there is no resurrection and there is no angels and demons. So what you see is what you get. Today, you know, seize today for tomorrow you die and after that there's nothing. So they don't believe in the resurrection, they don't believe in the afterlife. And so they are sad, you see. All right? That's an oldie but a goodie. All right? Um, so the Sadducees bring this question to Jesus. It's a trap. They actually only believe that the first five books of the Bible, we call the Pentateuch, are authoritative scripture. And, and that helps them with the resurrection because some of the minor prophets um, refer to resurrection in a more explicit way than what the Pentateuch does. So they can kind of even say, hey, look, where in, scripture, where in the first five books of the Old Testament do you see this reference to the resurrection? So you get, you get the point. The Sadducees also were, were more of the wealthy, aristocratic crowd. So their theological beliefs kind of supported their kind of like, hey, we'll try to make the best, even politically and even having good relationships with the Romans and with the powers that be and the governor um, to make life better for ourselves now, even if it's sort of a half and half. You know, we're, we're still kind of in this occupied status, but hey, let's make the most of it. Tomorrow we die. Pharisees, zealots had more extreme views of and, and hard lines of separation and, and so forth. So that's just a little bit of background you need to know. It doesn't really necessarily help me a whole lot with um, what to talk about today because, as I mentioned already, I'm not entirely sure if there's one clear big takeaway today. I actually think there's about 15. And so I'm, I had to boil it down, so let's give this a shot. Two life-expanding questions to ask ourselves today that come from this text. And the first one is, the first life-expanding question is, is Jesus informing you in life right now? Is Jesus informing your life right now? And I mean actually, actually having a meaningful, true role in how you're navigating life. The Sadducees don't, as they bring this question, they don't really, um, they're not looking for Jesus to inform their life. That's clear. They're looking to trap him. They think they've got him cornered. But it's interesting how he, come, how Jesus' response opens up how maybe they should actually be looking to him for informing their life. In verses uh, 35 and 37, we see that he, he seems to know the future better than we do, and he seems to know the scriptures better than we do. In verse 35, he talks about the afterlife as if he's seen it, and then in verse 37, he talks about scripture as if he wrote it, and it's just one more story, if you've ever read through the stories about Jesus, one more story where you say, who is this guy? that he responds this way to questions and to people's situations. The Sadducees come believing they have him cornered by their very limited grasp on reality. And Jesus expands the question, expands the issues that are on the table, and he drills down into it in a, in a very authoritative way. 
And so the only reaction for the Sadducees at this point is to be utterly stunned. I mean, they absolutely thought he had no way out of this riddle. It was a gotcha riddle. And he's not even worried about it for a second. I would actually say that, um, that most of us, it, it, it's, hard to, it's hard to avoid it. It's hard to avoid approaching Jesus like the Sadducees do. That in some way, you know, you're looking at Jesus um, through your limited um, information. And you're often wanting Jesus to validate your limited kind of narrow view of things. And, um, and we're often kind of, if, if you have a relationship with Jesus, and I see this from people who are bristling against religion and people who are grabbing hold of it tightly. So everybody plays this game of through your limited perspective and assumptions, wanting Jesus to fit that, support that, or, you know, to show Jesus or religion or the Bible to show them up because they clearly don't, they clearly prove that my narrow view is right because they, they, you know, they, they're so trapped by my arguments is one way to put it. So whether you're religious or irreligious, um, we're playing the same game. So but you're all here today. We're here talking about Jesus. We're offering the, the message of God's grace into your life through Jesus. So the question for us today is Jesus actually informed? Are you open to being informed? Are you specifically being informed in some way by Jesus in your life? That's a question. You might say, well, like, what does that look like? And I would say, well, are you, are you taking some specific issue in your life into conversation with God um, to talk to Jesus? Are you, are you opening up the Bible with that issue in mind, looking for to be informed? Are you bringing the issue to other people, spiritual mentors, your community pod, your small group, spiritual friendships, to say, in, in all of this, in your prayer life, in your scripture life, in your community life, with the assumption, I'm probably not seeing the whole picture. I probably need more information. Are you doing that? And Christians believe that not only can you talk to Jesus, but you can be informed through prayer, through scripture, through community of things that you just otherwise wouldn't have come upon. You just otherwise wouldn't have been helped by, comforted by, healed by. And these things that Jesus knows are so far beyond you about your specific situation that once you open that door and pursue that and, and the knowledge and help of the one, like we said, the one who knows talks about the afterlife like he's been there and talks about scripture like he wrote it, That's, that fits really well with what Christians, the bigness Christians believe about Jesus. Imagine that applying to the questions you have, the struggles you have, the issues that you're dealing with tomorrow as you go to work, as you go to school, as you take care of children. All right. So are you, is Jesus informing your life right now? So that's the first question. Secondly, is Jesus informing your view of the afterlife? Is Jesus informing your view of the afterlife? Now, this passage is about heaven, right? That was like kind of like an attempt at a trick question and to get everyone to go, yeah, but because it's not about heaven. 
Um, it's not about heaven. It's not about heaven. Heaven, okay, so in what you see in verse 33 and verse 35 is this is a conversation about the, the resurrection. It's a comment about the age to come. That's some of the language. There seems to be two ages. There's this age and the age to come. And heaven, really biblically, we're mostly in American in the American world, we're confused about heaven. We have heaven wrong because heaven we think of as, as, a, um, as in a time frame and it's this, it's this reward for a good religious life or for how Jesus makes you good through his forgiveness and then you can go to heaven. So heaven's sort of like a, a time-bound thing. It's a place. It's, um, it's not physical. All that stuff is wrong. In the Bible, heaven's references all, all relate to the presence of God fully experienced. So, you know, if you're, if you're in the presence of God, you're, in, you're experiencing heaven or the kingdom of heaven. Um, so it's good to kind of put our beliefs a little bit aside, our kind of common cultural beliefs about heaven, and realize that the, the Bible, if you want a more Bible-accurate view, then the, the, the picture looks like this. started at the beginning with creation, then there was the fall, then there was redemption, and then there's new creation. And that's the flow. So creation, fall, redemption, new creation. Say it with me. Creation, fall, redemption, new creation. Um, most of the Bible is the redemption part. The fall's already done in Genesis chapter 3, and the new creation is only spoken of. Maybe you've heard things like, he will come and make all things new. A new heavens and a new earth. In, in other words, sky and land. That's where the whole story is driving we were made for, were we created initially for heaven without bodies? No, we were created for this earth with bodies. And so the flow is always to return back to the good creation that was broken and renewed and made new. So that's, that's the arc of the story. And so when this question of resurrection comes up, it's kind of important because resurrection ties in with this bodiliness of being redeemed. Are we redeemed? Are we saved to go off and be a spirit somewhere? Or is even our bodies involved and made new? Is there going to be a re resurrection? Are we going to have a new body? That's what Christians believe. So is Jesus informing your view of the afterlife or do you have kind of like a pop culture view of the afterlife? Heaven. I'm going to go to heaven someday if I do good enough. Well, there's more. Because um, we're not, so if that's true, we're, we're waiting for a new creation. It, we're not just passively standing around waiting. Jesus has come. Um, and Christians talk about it this way, because there's an age, this age, when the Sadducees asked the question about this age and the age to come, and Jesus says there's an age to come of the resurrection. But Christians talk about being living in a kind of already but not yet. Say that with me. Already but not yet. And what that references is Jesus has come. So God has come into the broken creation and 
he was healing people, giving sight to the blind and um, making people well, uh, feeding people. It was like the renewal work was starting to begin definitively, finally. And then he, after Jesus ascended to sit on a throne to kind of be king of that renewal effort, he sends his Holy Spirit to continue the renewal effort. So we sit not passively waiting for, boy, this world sucks, but I, a new, and I hope it burns up because we need that new one soon. Maybe if it all burns up sooner, God will come quit. You know, that's bad theology because where we sit is with a king on the throne over a renewal effort and the spirit has been given and unleashed and it's worth praying for the spirit's help in your renewal work. How does tomorrow look different to you? If that's what you believe. How does uh, Tuesday look different to you if that's what you believe? It's the election, if you're... (laughs) How does Wednesday look? Wednesday, it's going to be hard for some people. Is there a king on the throne? Let me just speak to that. So there's an election, there's been, we, you have election fatigue, I know, right? Like, that's what we have in our country right now. Is, does it rock your world if the election doesn't go your way? And, and don't for a second think everybody here thinks that, I know we're a blue state and we're in Sacramento, but not everybody's in the same, uh, you know, category of what they hope happens Tuesday. So does, either way, does it rock your world? Are you depressed for a month? Um, depending on what happens on Tuesday? Or is there a king on the throne and a renewal effort at work and we should be praying for God's spirit to work through us and our elected leaders? And then let me just get into this last part of this passage because there's one more thing to this. Not only are we, um, does this theology that's, that's powerful that Jesus alludes to here about about us moving towards the age of the resurrection, and it's already, but not yet. There's already happening. We can join in and jump in and be a part of it. Then in verse uh, 36, I think Jesus drops the most powerful bomb, theology bomb in this whole passage. He talks about us, those who are considered worthy to be part of the age of resurrection, as children of God and children of the resurrection. So now he taps into a fundamental Christian theology uh, an, an identity issue. If you've been in a church, any church, for even like, like a year, you've probably heard a teaching or a sermon or a, or a sung a song that, that, that refers to you as a child of God. Children, it's a powerful theme that Christians hang on to, to know who they are, to know what identity is primary. So do you catch the do you catch the oddness of Jesus talking about the age to come when we will be children of God and children of righteousness, he's talking about something about, you know, what it'll be like then, but, he's, but it's also, that's a theological reality that Christians grab hold of now. So just as Jesus invades earth with heaven in the incarnation, so we live out a a theology about ourselves that will, that will only be fully realized in the new creation, we begin to live it out now. We begin to show signs of it. 
we begin to show flashes of what it's like to live like you're a child of God. And in, in this identity, being a child of God, is your redemptive identity. And that supersedes all your other identities. And, you know, I'm a Republican, I'm a Democrat, right? No, you're a child of God. And when that dominates, like when we're in the new creation and we're 100% aware of reality, we see it clearly, we see God as Father, we see us as children of God, that's, what, that's why we look forward to the new creation because our identity will be fully clear in front of our face. And, I mean, Republican and Democrat, we won't be talking about that. We're children of God. I didn't even plan to talk about politics at all this morning. So that, I think, is the Holy Spirit. So you're not primarily right now a daughter or a son or single or married or wife or parent or brother. You are a child of God first. And when that takes a center place... and we, we're bad at this, and so it, it's like we only get glimpses where we live into it. We only get moments, right? We live in a broken world. We're still sinful. But when you, when you catch that, when it centers in your life, the weight shifts. It's like an emotional, spiritual earthquake can happen in your life. A Christian can finally lift the impossible weight off of their spouse or their career, or their children, or their gender, or their sexuality, or their singleness. Because all of that stuff, and that's now where you see how it ties to the marriage question that the Sadducees come with. And Jesus kind of going, well, I mean, marriage in the age to come, what? you don't even have a clue what it's you're going to be children of God. I mean, that's... And, and, and as Christians, we say, that's already right now. We begin to live that out. We begin to take that from the future where it will be 100%, and we begin to start to kind of try to flex those weak muscles right now of that theology that's true. Let's pray. Dear God, we pray that you would enliven our connection to you and our faith through your Holy Spirit. And where we need uh, encouragement and hope and healing, and where we need grace and forgiveness, and where we need just acceptance and validation, that you, through your Spirit, would show us that we have been made through the cross children of God, fully acceptable, fully adopted. The papers are stamped. It's over. We fit in. We belong. Thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.